At this time, I will dismiss the children to Children's Church. You see Miss Amy over here to my left. It is a great thing to see so many young people who are eager to be in uh, worship. As we begin, actually, before I get into anything, uh, Jerry mentioned our meet and greet time this evening with the pastoral staff. One of the reasons for that is so y'all can get to know us. But the other reason is we want to get to know y'all too. Uh, there are so many people that come to the church and we don't really know a whole lot about folks. So it gives us that opportunity as well. So we'd love to have folks come and be a part of that. That's this evening at six. We used to do that every month uh, back before that, that COVID thing came. And all of a sudden we couldn't eat together because you might get somebody else sick or whatever. So this is the first time we're doing this since all of that. I am so glad to be back to normal, or at least as normal as most of us can get. Uh, but it's, it's great, and we would love to have you come be a part of that tonight at 6 o'clock. Now, as I begin this morning, I want to take a moment and celebrate today. I have a niece that lives in Virginia, and y'all don't know my niece, but it doesn't matter because y'all can actually celebrate with me anyways. She recently made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, and this... That's right. There's a reason to celebrate. And this morning, she is being baptized. And although I cannot be there today, I am celebrating with the family. There is no doubt that God is in the process of raising up a new generation of young people who will follow him with their whole hearts and will change this world for Jesus Christ. I legitimately believe that today. You saw it last week here in our services as we had a total of four people who were baptized. And I genuinely believe that God is doing something similar in many places across our nation. The greatest hope for our nation is not a better political candidate, although we definitely need better political candidates. The greatest hope for our nation is not medical care for everyone. It's not gun control or even racial reconciliation. No, the greatest hope for our nation is a new generation that will hold fast to the truth of God's word. And my hope is that each of us are actively praying for that to happen. But don't be fooled into thinking that your generation is completely lost or that God is not concerned about your generation. He is very much concerned about every generation, for it's not his will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I've been a full-time pastor now for 29 years as of June 1st, so actually in a little over a month. During that time, I have yet to experience a year where nobody from the church has died. Now, some years there have been only two or three, but every year someone has died from the church. The worst year probably for me was my first year here at this church. Actually, we had 11 people die in that first year. I went to Pastor Don who preceded me. I said, you left me a dying church because every time I turn around, we're doing another funeral. Here's the point of that. By this time next year, there is a great likelihood that some of you, if not maybe at least one of you, will no longer be living. 
This doesn't even include those who are loosely connected to the church, family, friends, neighbors, co-workers, all kinds of folks like that who will also die in that time period. What are you going to do about what's going to take place over the next year? Personally, if you do not yet know Jesus, it is time to get right with him today. But if you do already know him, who else among you needs to know Jesus? I want you to know that I am not content with the condition of my generation. And as such, I'm going to do something about it. Don't you also want to do something about it? That's why I am proclaiming the name of Jesus to everyone I can find. Every week, one of the questions that I ask in staff meeting is such an important question, is who have you shared Jesus with over the past week? This week alone, I can count at least a dozen people that I have shared the gospel with. I was able to give a Bible out to a young man in my office just this week. That being said, it doesn't even include what we do here at the church. I don't share that to brag, but to encourage you to be a part of the exact same thing. Who will you share the gospel with this week? Maybe they'll be from your generation. Maybe they're from a younger generation. Who will tell them? Who will show them? I want you today to be inspired to go out and to be a world changer. I believe God has called us to do that. I want you to be encouraged, knowing that you matter to God, and you might be the most important person in someone else's life. You might be the one to share Jesus with them. And finally, I want you to be empowered, leaving here filled with the Holy Spirit and ready to go out and change your world. The greatest truth that any of us can share is found in the Gospel of John. Billy Graham was scheduled to speak in a foreign country for a period of two weeks. It used to be that revivals lasted much longer than what they do if they take place at all. When he arrived, he asked the man who had organized these events what he thought Billy Graham should preach on. His response was very quick. He said, preach on John 3.16. And then he added, and if you want, you can speak on the same thing tomorrow night. In fact, I'd be okay if you preached on the exact same text every night. Because he said that is the most important message that people need to hear today. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. I want you to know that is still the greatest truth in the world. And the moment that it becomes more than just words on a page is the moment that it will change an individual's life. I pray that it will happen for you if it has not yet done so. And the same for those who are also a part of your life. Today, I'm going to begin a new series entitled, There Can Be Only One. And the primary verse of scripture throughout this series will be John 3.16. It will not be the primary text in any individual sermon. But what I challenge you with is as you hear each of these sermons, listen through the lens of John 3.16. There can only be 
one, and that one is Jesus Christ. My text this morning is very brief, but it is vitally important. In the ancient Hebrew, this was known as the Shema. And if you're one of those you like to read along, again, it's only a few words, but it's in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. It is one of the foundational scriptures that was read daily by faithful Jews. Not just when they went to the temple, however often they went, but every single day this was read as a part of their devotion to God. In fact, just as John 3.16 would be called the centerpiece of the New Testament scriptures, Deuteronomy 6.4 is the centerpiece of the Old Testament scriptures. And in many ways, we must get this right in order to fully understand the rest of what we find in the scriptures. It says this, Hear, O Israel, The Lord our God, the Lord is one. I'm going to do something a little bit unusual this morning. Instead of giving you all of the, all three of my points as we go along in the sermon, I'm going to give them to you now. So some of y'all who like to write down, are there blanks in your sermon? There are blanks on there? I don't look at the sermon notes on my stuff, but I put them together and sometimes they get, anyways, they're on there. So if you're one of those, you like to write down the answers, fill in the blanks, I'm going to give them to you ahead of time. First of all, we all share common ground. It is very important for us to recognize that there is common ground that all of us stand on. The second one, our hope is found solely in the greatness of God. There is nothing else that gives us hope, but it is the greatness of God, who he is. And then finally, we can only be, and we'll talk about all of that stuff in just a few moments. I was recently in the Greenville-Spartanburg airport to make a quick trip to I was there to visit John Kemper, one of the gentlemen from the church. He was having a kidney transplant. I will just take a moment just to celebrate that the body of Christ to pray. So we celebrate that and we thank you as a church for praying. When I arrived at the airport, I had to fly through Charlotte. Well, there was another flight that was scheduled for an hour and a half before mine also going to Charlotte. When I arrived, the first thing I noticed was that big word up on the board, canceled. As I was standing in line to check in for my flight, I overheard a first-class passenger harassing the customer service agent about his need for a plane. Problem was, my plane was already full. By the way. By the way. By the way. Wow. Kind of scaring me just a little bit there. Not sure. Yeah, it's okay. The guy who is harassing uh, the the customer service agent wanting a plane, and she patiently patiently explained that all the other passengers, she said, I have an idea. Wait here while I make a gate announcement. She then got on the intercom and she announced that yet another flight was being canceled. And then she asked for the public's help in assisting a fellow passenger. She said, I have a gentleman here who does not know who he is. 
Can anyone help identify him? I'm in line and all I could do was laugh because <laughs> I've heard the argument that's going on there. Obviously, this was a humorous way to handle a very frustrated and a very frustrating uh, passenger. But as I consider that man, I wonder how many of us are like him. We think pretty highly of ourselves, and if everybody else just knew who we were, then they would think highly of us too. Do you know who I am? I am a very important person. But the truth is that while I think you are pretty important, and I think that I'm a hated man in his own image, or as the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit spoke, it says, let us make man in our image. Now, that doesn't mean that God created us all to be God's but rather it refers to the fact that we were given a free will. We were given the ability to reason, to love, and to process in ways that the rest of God's creation could not do. In fact, many would argue that the key element that is missing from the rest of creation is a lack of a soul. They have mind and body, but the soul is unique to humanity. It's a part of the image of God. Let me begin here this morning with the idea that we all come from the same source. We all come from the same origin. We were created in God's image with all of humanity being given the privilege of experiencing intimacy with the one true living God. But that does not mean that all of humanity will experience that intimacy. I said he gives us the opportunity it does not mean that everyone will experience that. The reality is that many will choose something very different. In fact, this has been the case since the very beginning. Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3 are enjoying intimacy with God. They've been placed in a beautiful garden and instructed to enjoy the fruits of the land. And it appears that it was not uncommon for God to even walk and talk with them there in that garden. How perfect could an environment be? But these two individuals are given one restriction. They could touch, they could eat everything in the garden except for one tree that was located in the middle of this garden. That tree was off limits and the violation of that one law would bring about the death penalty. Doesn't seem fair, it's just a tree. Actually, it wasn't about the tree. It was about obedience. It was about walking in a way that truly honored the Lord, doing what the Creator had actually called them to do. But Satan was already incredibly crafty. He informs Adam and Eve that they will not surely die, which, by the way, was a blatant lie. But rather, they would become like God. Now, here's the irony of what Satan offered. I told you already they had been created in God's image. That means they were actually already like God. They just didn't recognize it. But here we are introduced to the idea that the grass is always greener on the other side. Now I know y'all have probably heard that. Maybe if I do things my way, I'll be able to get something better than what God has already given me. 
Remember, they are living in a place that is perfect, a place that has everything that they could ever want, yet there's something else that they do want. Have you ever wondered why the grass is greener on the other side? I heard someone say recently, maybe it's because of the load of manure that it's been fertilized in. Well, according to Genesis 3, 6, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. You know, I'm going to skip over. So let me just cover a couple of them real quick. First, Adam and Eve, I told you, they're living in a perfect garden surrounded by that was good for food and pleasing to the eye. They had no need for anything else. And even if they did want something else, remember they walk and talk with God. They're in the garden. He is the creator of everything. Couldn't they just ask him for it? I mean, the truth is, he actually, yeah, I do like some fruits. I like grapes. Anyways, separate issue, sorry. You know, the sad reality is that humanity hasn't changed at all. We still prefer to find our own way. Who wants to lose 25 eats or how much he eats. But instead of changing his eating habits, he'll join a support group, get counseling, pay for a gym membership, and all sorts of other things while he continues to eat that box of Krispy Kreme donuts. I have a friend that led to disappointment. Death would 